Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Last week, uh, midweek, I started going to the podcast, Forest City Podcast, as I was sitting at home. And I wanted to catch up and I wanted to listen to last week's service because I was, I don't know where I was preaching last weekend, some, some state, but uh, I started listening to it. And as I was getting through it, uh, just the part, you know, if, if you weren't here, we did a weekend of hope and it was really a weekend of vision casting. But the first half was really just reflecting on all that God did in 2022. And by the end of that, I was just feeling so much pride, like the good kind of pride, right? A lot of times in the church world, that's a bad word, but I was feeling so much pride in you guys. I was feeling so inspired by you guys. I was feeling so encouraged by you guys. I've been coming here, you know, once or twice a month for the last year, and I'm, I'm an observer by nature because I'm always trying to learn some things. And I've been observing this church for the last year. And one of my favorite things, I even talked to my wife about this, about you guys, is every week I've been coming here, there's always a new initiative to help some people in the city or even around the world that has nothing to do with Forest City. It just has to do with we believe in the good news and we believe in giving of ourselves for the good of other people who are in difficult and sometimes precarious positions to help them. And that just doesn't happen because we have good hearts. That happens because of your guys' generosity. And I know we say it here every weekend during the announcement block, but I don't, I don't want that to, to get old on us. Like you guys are an incredibly generous group of people. And I'm super proud of Eric and I'm super proud of the team. And I'm super proud of the fact that for all the things that we have to do to keep this church going, which is important, there's always this focus on things that really immediately don't translate to Forest City. Although in the end, the long game, they'll always come back and bless Forest City. But it's just about doing the right thing. It's about helping people. I, I was listening to last year and uh, over 100 people so far, because we're not even done yet, were baptized in 2022. And we're doing it again in two weeks. And we're going to add to that number. I can't wait to come back in two weeks and be a part of the baptism service because it's like my favorite thing as a pastor we get to do because it's just God's reminder of going, see what you do, Chad, matters. Staff, volunteers, what we do, it matters. It's changing lives. Uh, there was a new campus launched in 2022 in Elgin, and they've already had to, in, in a year, go to a second service. Like, God is doing incredible things. You heard him say, uh, we had worship nights a couple times this year. And my favorite thing, I, who, who doesn't want to come together as a community and worship God together? It's a beautiful thing, but they weren't just doing that. They were on mission. They really, one night, raised $2,000. We were just coming to worship God together as a church. You guys gave $2,000 for Rock House Kids Ministries. Do you not understand how much that blesses the heart of God? We come here and we sing to them from our hearts, but then we put our money where our mouths are and we're helping some kids in vulnerable situations. That just blesses the heart of God. 34,000 you guys gave to Compassion Ministries, 14,000 you guys gave. This is beautiful, guys, to the Rockford Park District, just to beautify the city. And we're doing it as a good gesture in the name of Jesus Christ. That stuff over the long haul, that means things to people down in the city departments. This is a beautiful thing. Over 173K to these type of missions were just given last year. You supported Safe Family Ministries, backpacks, gave a bunch of backpacks to kids for school, which is just such a beautiful thing. Uh, you guys, over 100 of you one weekend went and packed thousands of meals for kids around uh, the world and everything they were doing with that. Food for the Hungry sponsorships. You guys sponsored hundreds. You heard Eric say it last week. Hundreds of kids you guys sponsored around the world in developing countries. And I could go on and on. That was just 2022. And then we got to 2023. They're going to be expanding the Elgin campus. I love this next one. This spring, 
we're going to be launching Forest City Friends, which is for parents and kids of disabilities. Man, special needs. Like it's, it's so incredibly difficult for parents with special needs to just, to just do things that we uh, are used to, that are regular. For them to be able to come to church with kids, especially, it's a big ordeal. And we are going to provide a haven and a place of help and a place of hope. And it is going to be structured so well. And it's going to be done with excellence. And I'm telling you, this blesses the heart of God. We're going to build a house for someone and pay for it. Like literally someone's home that they didn't have the day before they're going to have. And you guys are going to help fund it. We're going to fund it together through, through um, uh, Habitat for Humanity. We're going to continue to bump up the mentorship in Elgin and Rockford for kids at risk. We're going to work with Just Christ Ministries in some of the most hardened ganged areas in downtown Chicago. And we know how difficult of an area that is right now. And we just believe God wants to do an incredible work there. They're feeding over 200 kids a week. And we're going to get to participate in making that happen. They're giving kids activities after school that are positive and affirming instead of dangerous and scary and unsafe. Working with World Relief in Rwanda. Convoy of Hope, one of my favorite ministries in all of the world. Um, there's going to be given, uh, we're pledging 50K to help with Convoy of Hope when any time a disaster anywhere in the world happens. And you heard Eric say this last week. Um, he said that we're believing next year to raise a million dollars. And he's like, on paper, it doesn't make sense. And how are we going to do that? He's like, I don't know. But I know with man, things can seem impossible or possible with God. That's not my opinion. That's something our rabbi, Jesus, told us. Like we're believing for that, but it's going to take a miracle. And I love that he said this, because this is, this is my heart too. He said, we don't have pledge cards. We don't do pledge cards and we don't do guilt. Amen. One of the topics that are hardest to talk about as a pastor, not because they're not important and not because I don't believe deeply in what I'm about to talk to you guys about, but because money is so personal, right? And the implications of how money is stewarded uh, matter so much to humans. Money in so many ways really makes the world go round. And so when you put money in the context of church, man, it sparks all kinds of different fills. People start filling all the fills, right? A bunch of you have probably, if you've been in church very long at all, you've had some moments in church history where financial stewardship's been an issue and it's troubled you and it's bothered you or you've been hurt or wounded by it. And it's maybe created some distance or some cynicism and you go, oh, here we go. It's the, it's the money talk this week. We should have skipped. We should have just started watching football, right? And like, like I get it. I, I don't want that for any of us, but it's, it's real. And so I just want you to know when Eric said, we don't do pledge cards and we don't do guilt. I am gonna unapologetically make a case for all of us that can, giving in the offering seven weeks from now at the end of the year to help fund all this. But I want you to hear me say this, and I mean this with all of my heart. If you don't, God loves you. If you can't, God loves you. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why I don't do guilt? It doesn't work, right? It doesn't, it works on the front end. It's good in the short game. Like, come on, parents, right? Like guilt can be powerfully manipulative, but when it comes to transforming a human heart, it always ends up having adverse effects in the end, does it not? So I try my best. I don't do guilt. You know what I believe changes and transforms human heart? Vision. And even more importantly than vision, you know what transforms the human heart to be what it was meant to be? Good news. 
And so when I talk about generosity, when I talk about an, something so specific as that, knowing there's baggage in this room, I just want you to know as much as you do or do not know me personally, man, my motive in talking about generosity is simply this. I have been transformed by the practice. I have been changed from the practice of generosity. It has not been one of the easier things that God has worked into me and my family's life, but I am telling you this, we have had a profound amount of life change and heart transformation when we by faith have taken some of the gifts God has given us and in his name and for his glory, given them by faith and trust back to our local church because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And every time, not one time, and it's always manifested difference. There's no formulas to this, but every time my wife and I have been a part of one of these offerings, and it's been most years in the last 20 years, God, I can tell you story after story about how God has always turned around and reaffirmed back to us his kindness in some form or fashion. I'm not the preacher that's gonna tell you, you give $100 in that offering and within 10 weeks, the Bible says in this verse, you should have a thousand back. Cause you know, God, like I'm not that guy. If you want that guy and need that guy, I'm gonna greatly disappoint you. I don't really believe much these days in formulas, but what I believe deeply in is principles. Principles. And God blesses and affirms and rewards every single time generosity. So he says, we don't do guilt. We don't do pledge cards. So I just wanted to say that up top. And I want to do this. Some of you might think, well, well, we're taking that at the end of the year. Maybe you should have saved that for closer to Christmas. So it's like fresh and we'll be still in the emotion world. And we'll still, you know, it's, it's actually smarter. Get people all emotive and, you know, show a sad, sappy video and get people fired up and, and throw all the scriptures at them and then say, now let's take an offering. The reason we're talking about it seven weeks in advance is because I don't want you to give out of compulsion. I don't want you to give out of emotion. It ruins it. I want you to give out of a faith-filled conviction that you cultivated. And so this is, I'm, I, I'm not normally a three-point preacher. Those are great things to do. I just never been that, but I'm gonna Billy Graham today. I'm gonna give you three points about generosity. And these are not only biblical, these are personal things that I have learned and that have changed my life. So when I start spitting again, sorry, front row and getting passionate, it's not, it's, it's, it's for me, it's because I've lived it and I've breathed it. And this is just, this is how the kingdom of God works. And so the reason, reason we talk to you about an offering that's going to be seven weeks from now, now is, is point number one. It's because generosity is always a spirit before it's an action. Generosity, when it's done with holy motive, is something that has to be cultivated long in your spirit before it ever turns into a holy action. So I want you guys, as you think about what you and your family might or might not do for this offering, I want you guys to have time to cultivate a generous spirit. And there's a verse in Romans that has taught me so, it doesn't immediately speak about generosity, but it's a whole verse on the generosity of Jesus and how we reciprocate that. And before we put that verse up, I'll give you some context because of what I'm going to read to you and quote to you is Romans chapter 12, verse, verse one, very familiar verse to a lot of you, but the whole sentence that I'm going to read to you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is in context of literally 11 chapters before it. Paul gives 11 chapters of the most robust uh, 
picture of the gospel we will ever get other than Jesus's life. The gospels gives us a picture of what Jesus did and acted and taught and lived to physically show us how it manifests. But Paul was gifted with this ability to teach us in words and in writing all of the the intricate implications about the gospel. This is what the book of Romans is. It is a, if you're newer to scripture, it is a beautiful book because nothing will tell you more about the good news of Jesus and how it fleshes itself out than Romans 1 through 11. But then when he gets to verse 12, it's like he's taking this shift now. He's like, he spent 11 chapters telling us so much about the implications of the gospels. And now he's gonna go in chapter 12 all the way through the rest of the book. He's gonna go, now here's how it should start fleshing out in your lives over time as you're affected by the good news of the gospel. So we know this because in chapter 12, the very first word he says is, therefore. In other words, based on everything, all of the good news, which is our chief motivator, Nothing motivates the human heart like good news. Based on all this good news I've just given you in 11 chapters, he says, therefore, I urge you for a city. For whatever reason, Paul said there's an urgency here. He says this, and this is the most important part. That's why I highlighted it. He says, in view of what? God's mercy. In other words, the only way you'll ever be this kind of person and live this kind of life that I'm about to tell you about, the only way it's possible is you have to continually create a narrative of mercy in your life. You have to constantly put all of the, all of the moments of mercy that you've experienced in this lifetime, you have to constantly put those in front of you and it has to be the chief story you tell you about you. Because there's gonna be other narratives when things get difficult in life. Not only that, but, but trouble's going to come. It is inevitable. Trials are inevitable. It is amazing how quickly the narrative of mercy in our lives starts to, 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 to fall into the shadows when we're going through difficult times. That's just human nature. Not only that, but let's talk about an enemy, right? We have a real enemy, the devil. He's real. Jesus gave him a name, said he's real, said he wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. He, he, he does not have your best interest in mind, so he's going to constantly be working on your mind. And what he wants to get you to do is to get your narrative away from what a merciful life you and I live. The fact we're breathing alone, right, is mercy. Let everything that has breath just praise God because it is an act of mercy. So he says, in view of God's mercy, if you can keep that at the forefront of your mind, here's what he's gonna say. Generosity is inevitable because it's always a spirit cultivated before it's an action done. In view of God's mercy, he says, offer. Isn't that a cool word? This is what it means to be a new covenant, New Testament Christian. We no longer work off demands. We no longer work off of law. Everything we do now, because this is such good news, let's rest for a minute. Every righteous demand to be in right standing with God was procured and fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ. When he shed sinless, innocent, divine blood as that spotless lamb, he fulfilled every ounce of the law. Not my words, his words, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but here's what I did do. Since you guys just can't seem to to, to figure it out, I came to fulfill it for you so we can get on to something more dynamic and meaningful. And you know what it is? It's living a life of I get to do this instead of living a life of I have to do this. In view of God's mercy, now you get to offer your body. You don't have, and if you don't, okay. It's an offering. By, by very definition, it's you may, you may not. 
But if you're ever going to, here's going to be the fueling factor. You're going to have to constantly keep a narrative of mercy in front of your face. Offer your bodies as what? Not a, not a martyr, a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. And I love this. This, this excites me. It says this is true and proper worship. Jesus dreamed of a, of a people that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And Paul's going, this is what it looks like. It's a life of just radical generosity. And it's not just money, it's every, it's holistic generosity. It's, it's just whatever costs you something in the immediate for the good of someone else in the long term. This is precisely what Jesus did for us on the cross. Any smaller way in this lifetime, we do anything like that. That is the purest, truest worship that we can bring to God. So generosity is a spirit before it's an action. And let me just reaffirm, man, I, I love what Park said last week. He goes, we're believing for a million dollars, and that's a bold belief in this season. And he goes, I know what some of you are thinking, because he started listing out all the different things that we we're going to do in 2023. And as he was getting about halfway through, I felt what you were feeling. I was like, how are we going to pay for this? <laughs> right? And then he said some issue. He goes, what? He goes, some of you are thinking, what? Did we win the Powerball or something? Like, how, you know? And I remember we all laughed, and I was at homeless to it, and I started laughing. But then I started thinking about the lottery. And, and, and I mean this when I say this. I've never played the lottery that I can remember. I think I did in my 20s once. It didn't go well. Um, spend your money on something else. But here's what I know about me. And I'll just speak for me, and then I'll let you decide how you feel about you. But I have won the lottery in life, period. I have as many troubles as you guys. I've gone through some deeply difficult and dark seasons, even recently. I'm as middle class as middle class gets. I haven't, I haven't increased my income over the last four or five years. I've almost cut it in half over the last four or five years. Not nobly. I mean, I'm not, trust me, I'd take it back in a heartbeat. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm trying to tell you guys up here, like, like I'm as middle class as it gets. I have months where me and the wife are looking at the bottom line going, okay, maybe not, you know, like we got to pull things back. All right. Like, right. Like, like, and I'm, I'm telling you with full integrity, I feel so wealthy. A couple of different reasons. I have fought hard, especially as I'm getting older, because I see how important it is to, to living a full life and to living truly free. I have fought so hard to keep a narrative of mercy in full view as much as I possibly can, even when the enemy's coming at me. In fact, sometimes that fires me up and gets me more mad. I'm like, oh yeah, you're coming at me? I will spend extra time today reciting how good God has been to me in my 48 years on this planet Earth. It's easy when you're going through difficulty to just dwell and to just think about the immediate and what's happening. But man, it's so healthy and it's so good for your soul when you step back from the immediate circumstance and go back to just what's true. And remember all the good times you've had. Remember all the times God has come through for you. Remember that you're still breathing and healthy and we're able to show up at church. Remember that for those of us, like I'm still able to exercise. Like I have friends that are disabled. I have friends that have chronic pain. I have friends that, that and I'm able, like, like if you just start reciting things in your life that are healthy and whole, you start to get this narrative of mercy. And that's when offerings of any kind not just talking about money now, offerings of it. That's when they start to get exciting and you start to go into the, I get to do this instead of, oh, I have to do this. It's not the way we were created to live. 
We are created to give of ourselves and just trust God to keep replenishing and re, re, refilling us. I won the lot. Like, tell your neighbor real fast. Let's have some fun for a minute. Tell your neighbor real fast. If you won the Powerball tomorrow, what's the first thing you'd buy? Just tell them real quick. Come on, go ahead. Don't be shy. No wrong answers. First thing you'd buy if you won the Powerball tomorrow. I'd kill to hear everyone's answer. I bet it was so noble, right? Aren't we noble with money we don't have yet? (laughs) I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of this. Money that's in theory. You ever have to play the lottery game and you just think back of what you would do? And then at some point you go, I better not think about this anymore because it went from really fun and exciting to now I'm sad I can't do it. Like, right? Like, I've been there. I've played that game. And, and I'm just, I'm just telling you, we're so noble with my, like, but, but here's the deal. I, I have been blessed to go to so many in the last 20 years, countries outside of America. And I, a bunch of you have as well. A bunch of you never have. And I wish everyone, like, I wish we had to, I wish it was like a law. I wish we had to all go to at least one or two countries that we just want to see because they're beautiful. Cause God made this world it's like But I also think we should have to go to developing countries as people who live in a first world country. And most of us, not all of us, but most of us, we were just sovereignly born here. Like we didn't pick where we were born. We just got put into a a first world country, right? But I've been to so many developing countries over the last 20 years. And it's been one of the healthiest, kindest things for my soul when it comes to this idea of keeping a full view of mercy in front of me. Like, I remember one time I, I told someone, they were asking me about what it's like to be me and live in my life. And I, I just told them about, I showed them one picture of a car that they liked that I had. And then I told them I have two cars, me and my family. <laughs> and then told them, I have a house for my two cars. We call them garages. <laughs> what? Wait, you, so when it rains or it's tough, like your cars have roofs on Yeah, and the door shuts automatically. It's crazy, it'll blow your mind, right? Like, I have, I have that. Like, like, I won the lottery, y'all. Middle class Chad, I won the lottery with that. But it, you, gotta, you gotta dwell on that stuff. You gotta think about that stuff. You gotta thank God for that stuff. That stuff we just expect and we over time, without even meaning to, we get entitled to. You gotta stop and go, no, my car runs, God. Today it's running, thank you. It's running, it's not broke down, thank you. Not only that, but my, my wife, let me pick on her because she's not here and I can act real tough. You're not here, Rachel, are you? Okay. Uh, she's got a house for her clothes. I can walk into it. It's a cl- walk-in closet for all her clothes. And there'll be, we've had so many date nights over the years where here's what happens. I'd come home from work and she'd be in the bathroom for four hours getting ready. You ladies, I don't know how you do it. Um, and all of a sudden, she'd be in her closet, and here's what I'd hear. And I'd walk in, and I don't know why I asked this, because I already know the answer. And ladies, you know exactly the answer. I'm like, what's the matter? What's the matter, ladies? Yeah, church, we're having church, right? Nothing to wear. And because I'm a jerk, I just go, oh, I see something here. That would look nice on you. I see this one here. This one doesn't have the tags off yet. Maybe we should give her a run, huh? Give her a try since the tags aren't off and it's our hard-earned money from the sweat of our brow. 
I see one here. What about shoes? You could do those or those or those or those or those or those. Should I go up to the second row? Because you have two rows. Those or those or those or those, right? Like, and then she looks at me and goes, you know, we're not going on a date anymore tonight, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be. I'm the same though. Let me pick on me for a minute. I'm, I, you guys know I'm a foodie. I talk about food somehow, some way, every service. I love it. It's potentially an idol in my life. Sorry, Jesus. But how many times has my wife walked past me and we, we share different chores, but one of the things she does a lot, most of is she does the grocery shop. And so this has got to bother her, but I'll be at the kitchen door as a foodie and I'll just be sitting there and she walks by and you know what she hears? <sighs> What's the matter? And why does she ask? Because she knows the answer. And I, what do I say? There's nothing to eat in a refrigerator full of food that people halfway around in different parts of the country would just kill. And I, and I don't just have a house, I don't just have a house for foods that need to stay cold. I have a, called a refrigerator. I have a house for foods that need to be room temperature called a pantry. Right? I come on the lottery, y'all. And yet I still, my instinctual narrative is nothing to eat. My wife's instinctual narrative, nothing to wear. My kids have a room for their toys. We have four kids, so we have an, an, a sinful amount of toys, which of most they don't even play with. You guys know what I'm saying, parents? They have a room full of toys, and then what I, I walk by, uh, what's the matter, buddy? I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Well, go clean your room then. No, 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 I got stuff. I'm good, right? Like, th- that's just a practical example of some material stuff. But when you really take the time and are committed to saying, I will continually keep the mercy of God at the forefront of my mind and my heart and my passions all of the time, the the generosity stuff and all of the other pillars of the kingdom of God, like generosity, they just over time start to become more and more organic. They start to over time become more. We have a word for it. It's called sanctification. It's like, hey, if you by faith, which is all God needs from you, if you by faith will apply the kingdoms of the principle, the kingdoms of the principles of Jesus over time, you just more and more without having to think about it or us having to talk more and more over time, it just becomes an instinctual part. And you start to see God's affirmation in your faith-filled actions. And the more and more you get affirmed by God with however he chooses to bless and reward you, the more and more it starts to become like an addictive part. Like, why wouldn't, of course I want to do this. Of course I want to be a part of this. Second point is this, I got to fly. I'm going to move on. So generosity is a spirit to be cultivated before it's ever in action. The second thing is this, and this one is a game changer for me when I finally made my peace with it. Generosity, like mercy, is irrational. Think about it. Generosity, by its very definition in nature, is irrational, right? Generosity, here's what I've tried to make my peace with years ago. Generosity, when it's truly something generous you're doing, it'll never make sense on paper in the moment. That'll be your first step that you know you might be doing something generous is go, this makes no sense on paper, but I feel something in me that feels called to do it, right? Another thing is, is it'll always be inconvenient. Generosity by very nature, it's inconvenient. It was not convenient for Jesus (laughs) to step off the throne in a place of perpetual peace and shalom and decide to come down into this madness. But he knows what I'm wanting to remind us. Generosity is always on the front end irrational. And if you can trust that, it's a game changer. 
Because when you're making decisions, especially when it's something as personal and as important as money, and when we're going to take an offering and you're thinking, can I do it or I can't, but I want to participate, but I don't know. Listen to me. The reason we're giving you seven weeks to think and pray it over is because you're going to fill all the fills. It should feel irrational at first when God's putting a number on your heart. It should immediately feel inconvenient when God's putting something for you and your family, whatever it is, on your heart. Don't be shocked by that. It's generosity giving you a chance going, yeah, it's, it, it, trust me, you won't regret this, but on the front end, it's difficult. But what's Jesus as the ultimate example of generosity via the cross? What's he say? For the joy set before him, he goes through all the irrationality of the cross. What's more irrational than an innocent man who's sinless, the only one to ever live, to breathe his last with corporal punishment, Roman crucifixion. There's nothing more irrational, nothing more inconvenient than him stepping down onto planet earth when he had perfect shalom in heaven. Jesus says this about generosity. This, this is about to offend your mind. You've all read it probably before, but it's taken me so long. It's taken me a couple decades to try and make my peace with what Jesus teaches us here about generosity. Listen to this. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That makes sense. That's rational. That's pragmatic. That's pra I get that. My natural instincts go, yep, you take my eye. I deserve to take yours. You take my tooth. I'm taking, I don't know why someone would do that unless they're a dentist, but if you take my tooth, I'm taking yours, right? Jesus says this though, man, he changes it all. He goes, but I'm gonna tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right, this one makes me mad. I got that male testosterone going when I read this and I just don't like it. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also, right? Does that make any of you mad? Any of you justice warriors in here get mad at that? Like, no, like, right? Like if, it, the only reason I'm turning my other cheek if I get slapped is so I have more inertia when I swing back and slap them back. That's the only reason I could think to possibly turn my cheek, right? But for whatever reason, not only our rabbi, but our Lord and Savior, our King, our Master, he says, turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What? You hear any, you hear any rationale in that? I would give you a bunch. I would go, this is exactly why that is brilliant and makes sense. I'm just telling you it's irrational, but you know what? That, those type of actions evangelize. Those type of actions make a person who thinks they're your enemy, all of a sudden it makes them accountable to a greater good that, because of what you just did. This next one paints it better than any of them. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me teach you something about this. They had a Roman postal code that was written. Most of the Roman officers, as cool as they looked and as tough as they looked and as cool as the outfits they looked, what they did most of their time wasn't policing and punishing people. They did that, but what they did most of their day-to-day -day was they were mailmen. They carried currency usually and other important documents from city to city to make sure they got there safe. And there was written into the Roman postal code that the Roman soldiers had the authority and the power to ask anybody in any hometown at any time to stop whatever they were doing. And they were obli obligated by law to walk with them at least one mile and carry the bag for them, whether they were tired or just in the mood to not do it. And I'm guessing, knowing what we now know about first century Rome, they abused that all the time. 
So put yourself in an already oppressed first century Jewish person who's just at work trying to provide for their family like many of you are, middle class at best, probably lower class, getting paid an hourly wage of some sort, and now all of a sudden a, a bored Roman soldier who is already oppressing them, and they're at odds anyways, comes to them and says, I want you to stop, clock out, I know you're going to lose an hour or, so, or two's wages, but I want you to carry this for a mile. They just by Roman law had to do it. So if they did it, I imagine most of the time it was begrudgingly. I get that. Not the spirit we want, but I get that. I would struggle with that. But when Jesus says, if they ask you to go a mile, everyone knew what he was talking about there. It wasn't some nice platitude. It had to do with Roman law. If they ask you to go a mile, do this. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to change your life. And it is going to change their life. Go with them too. Because that first mile, you know what it is? It's law. It's duty. You know what the second mile is? It's mercy. It's generosity. It's grace. Almost as if it was saying like the first covenant was, here's the law. Here's all the duties you're required to do, like them or not. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, no, we're going to have a better covenant. and We're going to come in. And now all of that's going to be met. And now you get to do it as an offering. See, that, that second mile was the offering. And I can't imagine how blown away a Roman soldier would have been when one of the Jesus' disciples actually believed his teachings and said, I'm going to actually do that next time I get asked. Can you imagine the walls of enmity between the Roman soldiers and a Jewish person that would have been broken down just by giving 5,820 5, more of your feet of that day? Steps? Just, I'm just going to go one more mile. All of a sudden, that Roman soldier's heart whether he acts like it or not, is accountable now to mercy. It's accountable to a system he's never seen before in real time. And it's done in this name of this person he's already crucified, Jesus. And now all of a sudden he's got to do something with Jesus. Because, I mean, you got a whole mile to tell him, yeah, I'm just doing this because my rabbi, remember that guy that got killed? Remember you may have been working that day? He asked me to do this. And anything he asked me to do, I always believe not only honors him, but I believe it's in my best interests. Generosity is in your best interest. Everyone wins. I guarantee when you go that second mile, yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it cost you some of that work, money that you had to clock out for. But what you learned in that second mile and what that other person experienced in that second mile, that's what the kingdom of God's all about. It's relationship, it's restoration, it's reconciliation. Last thing, so the second thing, gener generosity, just so you know this in the next seven weeks as you guys are making a decision for an end of the year gift offering. It's irrational. Don't be surprised by that. Doesn't make sense on paper. Last but not least, authentic generosity, I love this one, is way more about the motive than the amount. I, I hope this, for some of you, especially with church money baggage or whatever you might have, I, I hope you know that. Man will always be impressed with big givers. Big givers will always be given, it's just in our human nature. Big givers will always be given clout that us normal people won't. Big givers will always be given a level sometimes of respect. They also comes with a lot of problems because some of y'all are, are big givers because of whatever your situation is. Praise God for you. But it, it's, it's not everything we think it's cracked up to be sometimes too, right? But what God is impressed with is not what man is impressed with. 
Generosity has nothing to do with an amount. It has to do with motive. Motive is deeply important in the kingdom of God. God cares deeply, not just about what we do. He cares about why we do it, right? The Pharisees were doing all the right things in public at the highest level. And Jesus was having none of it. Why? Their motives, their hearts, their hearts weren't in it. And they were in it for completely corrupt and different reasons. And Jesus is just looking for a church that will say, hey, I'm gonna give an offering. I believe in the local church. I believe we're gonna do some real good in 2023. I'm gonna give an offering. God, here's my, here's my reason. Here's my heart. I pray that you'd receive this from my reason and my heart. I pray that you'd receive this as true worship. That's what God loves. Not looking at an amount. And again, don't take my word for it. Here, here's what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. No shocker. I love this. Can't wait to meet this unnamed woman someday in heaven. She's a legend. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, listen to what Jesus, listen to how he feels. Not about the amount. She lost. If, the, if that was the game, she lost. Two, two, two small coins. Look how Jesus feels about this lady because of her motive. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. You want to talk about irrational? Put in everything, all she had to live on. I don't know this lady's backstory because the Bible doesn't say any more about her, but I gotta, I gotta believe she had a pretty strong narrative of mercy at the forefront of her life and her lifestyle. I gotta believe this older lady in a really precarious, difficult situation had spent a lot of time reflecting on the goodness and mercy of God in her life. There was a degree of gratitude this lady had so much so that while all the rich people are dropping in tons of coins and in those phylacteries they would put them in, you could hear it when the coins dropped because they were like gold basins. So everyone, it had become a show and Jesus wasn't having it because the louder the people would dump bags of their wealth and everyone would be like, oh my goodness, look at them. What a baller. Look at them, what, look at what they're doing. And then this lady comes up and it's like, everyone take a break, it's the old lady. And she goes, ding, ding. And while everyone's taking a break from the show, guess, guess, guess who's having a show? Jesus. He says to his disciples, get over here. Guys, teaching moment. Get over here right now. Pete, knock it off. Get over here right now. Puts his arm around him. I want you to watch this lady. Why? It's the old lady. She gives two coins. He goes, no, no, no. She's a widow. It's all she has. Nobody in this room has been more generous than this lady right here. Like nobody has given and sacrificed more and irrationally than this lady right here. And nobody other than his disciples will know the sacrifice. But guess what? Jesus always knows. So here's my last plea to you as I wrap up. If you're able and decide to give in this offering at the end of the year, would you just please work real hard to get to a place where you're, it's for Jesus. You just, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. This is, this is me and my families. 
or if you're single, this is just my, this is just my little offering to you. No one's going to know. Some of you will sacrifice a lot in this offering and you'll think because of the amount, it makes no dent on the bottom line around here. Completely don't let that thought to ever have one more ounce of energy because the only thing that matters in this offering is your motive. That's it. It's your motive. And my prayer is in the next seven weeks that we get to a place of, man, I get to, I get to do this. This is cool. We get to do this. Thank you, Jesus. Please receive this with every ounce of faith and trust that we have. And I know, I know what a lot of you have known because you've experienced it. God will always affirm and in some form or fashion that he sovereignly sees fit will always reward your generosity because good parents always affirm what they want to see more of, right? That's, that's God's heart. And so I don't have a clue. It's really weird when you're preaching because you got to just kind of by faith. I don't know how it's received or how it's not. None of you got to come up afterwards and go, we hated that or you were amazing. That was great. Here's what I'm telling you though. I don't, I just pray that my tone today was what it's supposed to be, right? I preached the truth the best I could, but tone matters. And I just pray that here's what you, I, I just want to say this one more time in my tone. I want you to hear this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're about to take communion together. We're about to celebrate that very beautiful truth. You can give $100,000 in this offering. You could give $10 in this offering. You could give zero. You are a child of God, deeply loved by God. Your giving or lack of has nothing to do with his position towards you. Do you hear me when I say that? I want everyone to be givers. I see it all through scripture. I know as a pastor, it's in your best interest because I've lived it. I would love everyone to be givers. But if you're not, Jesus loves you deeply and died for you as much as anyone else. So please hear my heart and my tone today that I don't want anyone having those fills. I know Eric and I know the goals of this place for 2023. And I just believe that I'm gonna use some churchy term here that your offering is going to be a seed that is put into really good soil. Soil matters, right? When you're giving, soil matters. I believe in this soil, y'all. I wouldn't keep coming back here if I didn't. I believe in this soil. I'm happy when my wife and I send money in here, send our tithe here, when we, when we, whatever we give at the end of the year. I'm happy to, it's good soil. I've been observing, I've been watching, I've been participating. I believe in what God's gonna do here in 2023, I, I really do. But man, I don't want any of you to feel guilt. I want you to feel good news. You are loved. So if you guys will let me just, without being brilliant at it, just transition into communion because we're really using this, this wafer and this little bit of juice. We're using it as a, as a, as a focus point to get our hearts back to the narrative of mercy. There, this is what communion is. It's an intentional 2000 year old practice. We as Christians do to keep mercy in full view. When it was instituted, I think Jesus just knew the human heart better than anyone goes, oh yeah, we're, we're forgetful people. 
It's easy to, to think about everything that's happening in the moment and forget the things that happen eternal. And so I want you to take communion together as often as you like. Whenever you eat or drink of this, he says, do it in remembrance of me. And I just want to remember this one thing today as we eat and we drink together and then pray ourselves out of here is this. We serve, y'all, a covenant God, not a contract God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I have some contracts in my life. I told you earlier, I own two cars. When I, when I bought those, I signed a contract. And it was way too many papers to sign, but essentially what it said was, here's what you owe, and you pay it every month, and if you don't, we'll just come take it back. Right? Makes sense. That's practical. It's logical. I, same thing with a mortgage. Here's what you owe. Pay it every month. If not, we'll come repossess it. Right? It's practical. I get that. It's a contract. Contracts are, are good. But we do not serve a contract God. You understand that? We serve a covenant God. Covenants don't get ripped up. Covenants are shed in blood in God's kingdom. And blood doesn't get taken back. You understand that? Can you rest in that today? Like the apostle Paul said, even we, we are faithless. He remains faithful. And he goes on to say, for he cannot disown himself. He can't break covenant. He doesn't want to break covenant. Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 said, you are sealed now as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing I'm not good enough to unseal what the power of the Holy Spirit seals. I'm guessing he wins that one. Like this, this covenant is irrational. Generosity is irrational. It makes no sense on paper. And yet God, while Paul says in Romans, while we were what? Yet sinners. While we weren't making the right payments. While we deserved repossession. While we were yet sinners, fully knowing we were sinners, Christ died. Why? He's just motivated by love. He loves what he created. He's here to redeem it and reconcile it and save it. He's doing everything he can to redeem us, to reconcile us, to save us over and over and over again. Why? He just loves you like you as parents love your children relentlessly and unconditionally. Sure, he gets annoyed with us sometimes like we do, right? Like, I'm fine with that. Maybe not. I would if I was God. I'd get annoyed with all of us. But either way, he just loves us so much. And so can we just do that? Whatever you need to do as we partake in this, we'll, we'll do the, the, the wafer first that's just a representation of his broken body. And I always just remind you, Jesus was broken and it was finished so that we'd never have to be broken again. So any broken places in your life right now, and I think we probably all got them, you just give those over to Jesus again and say, hey, you've already been broken for me in my place. Can you bring healing to my brokenness? He wants, like he wants to answer that prayer. It's part of what communion is. It's, a, it's an act of healing. So let's take this together. Thank you, Jesus. will open up the, the juice part. This is always tricky, man. One bad pull on these things and you got, you're going to have some dry cleaning bills. But he said after supper, he, took, he picked up a glass of wine with his disciples. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And every time you drink of it, I want you to think about the implications of the new covenant. Now that's, that's massive. So I just want you to do one thing before you take a drink. Will you when you think of one promise of God that you know 
from scripture that's most meaningful to you right now? I, I, I said mine to the first service today. Uh, it's just one promise in God's covenant, just one attribute of his goodness. And it's this, it's in Proverbs. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. I love that. I love that. That's why when we just started singing that song, Jesus, Jesus, and Lauren just kept singing over and over, Jesus, Jesus. I just started thinking, man, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. God's doing cool things as we just start singing the name of Jesus. But you think of what's important to you. That's mine. That's what gets me excited. That's what gives me a narrative of mercy today. I have a God who I can just call out the name of Jesus. And he hears and he's there. And it matters. So think of yours and with gratitude, let's drink. You guys, as always, have been so gracious and how you've listened today. And I'm just never gonna quit saying thank you for that. I do not take it for granted. So as we leave, I'm gonna give a benediction. I'm gonna pray a prayer that I pray every morning. It's a prayer of mercy. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we are unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness to us and kindness to us and all whom you've made. God, we bless you for our creation. We bless you for our preservation and for all the blessings of this life, God. And we pray, God, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives by the giving up of ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all of our days through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom God, you and the Holy Spirit, please be honor and glory throughout all ages and even this week. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Do not forget to get your seventh floor book on the way out. Love you guys.